0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV pilot's license, flight number 30, with service to Los Angeles, California, and the counter-terrorism unit. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember, if you hear a mysterious beeping coming from a fire extinguisher on board of the plane... Please notify your flight attendant immediately as we need to make a call to Jack Bauer. Welcome to the TV Pilot's <laughs> License. My name is Jeff Curbis joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. How are you boys doing Hot today? damn,
1: it's 24 time. Let's go.
0: <laughs> I'm so excited.
1: I I, I could have watched this episode 17 times just to get my adrenaline going. I don't even need this right now. Oh. I don't, even, I don't <laughs> even need this giant cold brew. I
0: was going to say, the other option is the events that happen on this podcast unfortunately do not happen in real time otherwise we would be here forever but for this week we decided to go and take a look at a early 2000s classic of 24 but before we dive into this um, little piece of television history max can you tell the people at home what this podcast is all about Yeah, there's no way
2: we're fitting this podcast into one hour. Sorry, folks. (laughs) Uh, So here at TV Pilots License, we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of television's most famous and in some cases infamous shows. We learn about these shows creators and how they came to be. If we think they're effective pilots and making us want to watch more, and if these shows can be made today, you can go back and find our older episodes wherever you get your podcasts from. So Check out a show you may already know and love. Take a listen to a show you may never have seen before. And if it is your first time flying with us, uh, that's actually a bad metaphor for this pilot, but welcome
0: forward. (laughs) Oh boy. And Rich, what's your game of the week? Or what's your question of the week? Excuse me.
1: Uh, Game of the week is us trying to fit this in only 24 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My question of the week is, uh, I want you guys to both think about a problem that you incurred this week. And I want you to think about how Jack Bauer would make that problem either better or worse.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Uh, (laughs) And how he would solve it.
0: Well, I had to take my dog to doggy daycare today. Uh, And (laughs) I think Jack Bauer would probably have solved it uh, very much racing through the city of uh, Minneapolis Uh, As fast as he can, not taking any care into whether or not civilians are crossing the street. Um, (laughs) Inevitably, someone would have been shot by a dart gun um, that looks conspicuously like a very, very real gun. And then um, there would... I would have to imagine there's broken glass uh, just because I had to wait for a minute before someone could get my dog. And that's not acceptable to Jack Bauer. We're in real time and we don't have time to spare. Uh, And my dog would be traumatized throughout the entirety of it. So he would be worse for wear. Max, what about you? Uh, So despite, you know, what we perceive 24
2: as in the pilot, Jack Bauer's ultimate weapon is intelligence. Uh, Getting (laughs) intel and resources. And uh, this we're recording this the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, March Madness is upon Uh us. And I needed a lot of intelligence to fill out my bracket this week. (laughs) And I believe that Jack Bauer uh, and all of his techies and hacking and his crew at CTU could have helped me with crunching the numbers, analyzing the data, perhaps uh, hacking into some playbooks for some teams and helping me make a better bracket.
1: (laughs) I love it. There are no Cinderella stories at CTU.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Rich, what about you? Uh,
1: Okay, so I took a little bit longer uh, in in line at Universal Studios today than I really would have wanted. So I think... Jack Bauer would have came into Super Mario World and would have tortured people until I got to the front of the (laughs) line. (laughs) So in that case, Jack Bauer is worth every single dollar the U.S. government is paying him.
0: Somehow Jack Jack Bauer is still cheaper than uh, the Fast Pass at Disney World. Uh, Bullet shell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> damn it um, well rich thank you for that question of the week let's talk a little bit more about 24 but before we learn a bit about the show's history dive into this pilot a quick synopsis for y'all Counterterrorism agent jack bauer races against the clock to subvert terrorist plots and save his nation from ultimate disaster Nice and simple. I think it gives us a really clear idea of what's about to happen. But That's Max, a pretty open book. <laughs> that's, what, that's a lot of blank pages. Before we dive into the timing of when this came out, Max, can you tell us the history of how this got made? Oh, sure thing.
2: So today we are talking about the pilot episode of 24 titled 12 AM to 1 AM, which premiered on November 6th, 2001 on Fox Uh, Season 1, also affectionately known as Day 1 in 24's canon. Uh, So we're talking about two TV writers today, uh, Joel Cernow and Robert Cochran. And these two actually have a really long history of working together prior to 24. Hmm. Uh, They've actually been in writer's rooms together since the late 1980s, having been writers and producers on CBS's primetime soap, Falcon Crest, as well as ABC's police comedy drama, uh, The Commish, which starred a young Michael Chiklis. In 1997, they actually go on to create their first show together, uh, the USA, like, secret agent drama La Femme Nikita based on the Luke Besson film Nikita from the early 90s. This show is actually the highest rated basic cable drama in its first two seasons and has gone on to become something of like a cult favorite amongst 90s action fans in the years since. So that show is canceled in 2001 and in 2000, Serda and Cochran, they're looking for another project to expand, you know, their careers. And the story goes that Serna gives Cochran a call and pitches the concept of a 24-episode drama that takes place over the course of a single day, each episode just being one hour of a day. And according to interviews of the two of them, Cochran responds by saying, forget it, that's the worst idea I've ever heard, it'll (laughs) never work, it's too hard. (laughs) And that could have been it.
1: And, but, and, and do you know the famous location? I actually had a 24 connection this week. <laughs> the famous location of okay. this meeting.
2: <laughs> so, the I have to mention this fact because every single interview about the creation of 24 mentions this location. It, it's in everything I found. Season 1 DVD commentary, old Hollywood Reporter articles, oral histories of the show. Einstein the Bagels? Two- <laughs>
1: close yeah you're not the, far off the
2: two met up for breakfast at the
1: ihop in woodland hills you goddamn right goddamn right I van and so street in fallbrook what's up without
0: even trying
1: <laughs> i literally drove by that uh that ihop this week and after after reading the wikipedia page like the wikipedia uh note that they met at the woodland hills ihop i was like Yeah, and that's a really big IHOP. And the fact that it came up merely
0: 48 hours later. Do we think that people who are a big fan of this show go to that IHOP and try to find the table and sit and be like, this is where it happened. This it's like is where it's like 24. the table that
1: Anthony Bourdain and, and Barack Obama sat at in Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah, LA is
2: full of these places. Like the story of like I think it was Quentin Tarantino writing either Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs at House of Pies in Los Feliz. I believe it's like David Fincher working on I want to say Fight Club in like a Denny's on Sunset. Just these places of lore. Uh, Rich, I'll meet you out at Woodland Hills. We'll go get a. Rudy toody, fresh and fruity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to believe that there is just like at, in, at some point, in like the 80s and 90s, there is just like an, an overwhelming amount of like uh, typewriters being slammed down on diner counters and just the sounds of clacking away. I mean, they. Everyone makes fun of like people being on their phones and laptops at Starbucks and shit like that. But people were doing that way beforehand.
0: We're gonna and be,
1: smoking while doing it. Yeah,
0: we're gonna be talking about phones more because whole. Yeah, shit, like the pushover
2: of the typewriter every time you have to go to a new <laughs> line. <laughs> All right, back back to the creation of twenty four though. So this <laughs> the first idea for this show was actually such lower stakes than what it ended up being. And originally, Sernell pitches an idea that's a little more reminiscent of their primetime soap days, which was focusing on the 24 hours before a wedding and basically all the storylines of the people involved.
0: I
1: mean, mm-hmm. in. sign me up but right now. It's that's not really so, high That's stakes. so damn boring compared to what it became.
2: Well, also, Ed, people don't stay up for 24 hours straight. So it's hard to do a real time 24 hour show because, like, there would just be hours in the middle where people are sleeping. It doesn't really work. <laughs> so, they start to figure out how do we make this more of a race against time? And they draw elements from La Femme Nikita, and they basically end up creating this fictional US government agency, the counterterrorism unit. And they write this pitch around an agent who is trying to both stop a political assassination and rescue his kidnapped daughter. Basically, enough to justify someone not going to bed for 24 hours. They pitch this show to Fox. And it's bought the same day as their pitch. However, as they're assembling Damn, the writer's Damn. room, they learned that writing in real time is a pain in the ass. Because if a character needs to get from point A to point B, you can't just automatically show them in the next scene. If someone's stuck in traffic, that character is going to be showed as stuck in traffic.
1: Yeah, someone, I think we need to really make it, we need to drive this point home of, like, for people who love 24, for people who are just watching it for the first time, the writing for this show is completely, it seems like one of the hardest, like, possible writing jobs that you can imagine. Because you you cannot put any character anywhere anymore. There is actual logistics that you have to worry about.
0: It's, it's we'll talk about it, but I, I love how realistic, like, some of the, writing that they use in this show is of like yeah you know when two teen girls are driving out to a random furniture store uh out in the valley uh you know. they're going to be talking about absolute nonsense and it's going to sound like jibber jabber but like that's real. That's what's gonna happen when you're yeah, driving. for Yeah, if your car is minutes. at a red
2: light, your car is gonna be stopped at that red light for an appropriate amount of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of get around this by introducing the idea of we're gonna tell multiple storylines uh, alongside each other. That way, if you do need to justify like a time lapse, you can cut to another story for a little while, which ends up being kind of their saving grace here. So this pilot is filmed in March two thousand one and cost $4 million, which is a huge investment for Fox. And they greenlight it for 13 episodes. Production officially begins in July of 2001, but in the middle of filming season one, there's not an easy way to say this, but our nation begins reeling from the attacks of September 11th, 2001. Production on the show continues despite network mandates for what's dubbed blue sky shows and comedies. Mm-hmm. And they do delay the premiere of the show from October to November. Yeah. A it's long, one
1: week. They, they a, delay it one week after a national terrorist attack.
2: So they delay it from October 30th to November 6th. They also only agree to air the first three episodes of the show. Hmm. So Fox basically says, we're going to put three episodes out there and we're going to see what the response is. Now, we're going to get more into this with The Legacy. Um, that's this show's legacy, not the spin-off 24 Legacy that happens <laughs> years later. Um, what but a damn it turns gamble, out dude. that people like really, really respond to 24. I'm excited for us to get into why. And that's going to take us to day one, 12 a.m. to 1 a.m.
0: Yeah, I love it. So I do want to add one little fun fact about the legacy of this show. And it's who directed this pilot episode. A man by the name of Stephen Hopkins, and for most that might not mean anything, but this is the man who's also responsible for directing Predator 2 when the Predator is in New York City, as hey, well as uh, one of the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, spin offs, The Ch- Dream Child, um, and also I think he did the Lost in Space movie in 1998, so... Really, we're bringing a variety of expertise here. Um, But we start off, and let's dive into this pilot, with a little bit of a different opening than we are used to on this show. Uh, We start off just with beeping, um, and we see some graphics on the screen. And then 24 appears. uh, And then we get the following quote. The following takes place between midnight and 1 a.m. on the day of the California presidential primary. Uh, and the events occur in real time, as we mentioned. Uh, but suddenly, while we're told we're going to be in California, uh, we are in Kuala Lumpur uh, in the streets, seeing a man sort of just going the about. Dustiest,
1: the dustiest street in a major metropolitan area.
0: <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Through this, we're seeing that he's doing something that has to do with satellites, and we something is afoot in this instance. Um, And it appears that based off of the actions of this person, um, we are seen uh, really brought to Director Walsh, who gets a phone call at some form of event that there is set to be a hit on a presidential candidate.
2: Listen, just because somebody is slinking through the streets of Kuala Lumpur, entering a pin code to get into a door, using a laptop that's in like a secret steel-coated briefcase transmitting to a satellite in outer space, does not mean they're suspicious. Yeah, that's how you, <laughs> how
1: you used to get on Google in 2001. Yeah.
2: This is also the first first of many times we use this shot where we see the same character or the same event from multiple angles and picture in picture and it's it's so cool it just sets the tension it sets the stakes for this and i love this camera work here um the lighting in this show is so cool to me in Mm -hmm. that like it's not necessarily the best lit there there's shadow there's dust we don't see people's faces all the time they do a really good job uh i saw a description of like the lighting almost being like comic booky at mm, times it yeah. is. and i love i love the color palette they it, use It, uh, it it's really a, cool
0: it reminded me a lot of like indiana jones color palette in a way of like when you were not in the u.s it always had sort of this like ancient feel to it um and almost like this Really interesting filter, but the thing that cracked me up about this—we have these multiple shots like all over the screen—is um, not. But like a month later, from the December seventh of two thousand one, the new Ocean's Eleven uh, comes out, starring George Clooney, directed by Steven Soderbergh, and literally using this same sort of shots of having multiple things going around around the same person, and you have to know that, like, Steven Soderbergh's watching this and being like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, we literally were about to premiere this really cool idea, and then twenty four. But That they spent the it. world's most amount of money on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on at, at Terry Benedict's casinos, and this is what happened. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, from this instance, we see Brian Walsh, and we're transported to Los Angeles. Um, mm-hmm. It is late night, and we meet our... Potential um, victim of assassination, David Palmer, uh, who is set to be the target of terrorists but is in the That's midst of just planning for this very important primary date. That's right. Uh,
1: David Palmer, uh, former Cleveland Indian uh, starting player uh, and, uh, and voice of Allstate Insurance.
0: Current insurance yeah. salesman and, uh, we and former Major League from- Baseball player. Dennis Hayes, uh, Dennis Haysbert, uh, is who plays them. And I, it was one of those things where like, you see this, you get the idea of like, okay, we have a face to the name. Um, but then in a very stark contrast, we go to what appears to be a very typical American family. Um, which is, we're meeting, meet the Bowers. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we got Jack, uh, who is the father, uh, played by Kiefer Sutherland. We got Leslie Hope, who plays Terry Bauer, the wife. And then we also got, at this point in time, probably budding star uh, Alicia Kuthbert, uh, who plays the daughter of Kim Bauer.
2: I love how you're describing it the way we describe families on multicam sitcoms. Like, oh, meet oh, the yeah. Bauer family.
0: I'll,
1: although, I will say, like, there's... Just knowing where this show goes after this pilot, there's almost no like edge to Jack Bauer whatsoever. And I know that's what they're trying to maybe accomplish with the at home scene here, but he is a wildly different person after this pilot. They oh, the, use the like completely found something different. We
2: see Jack Bauer doing our plague chess and eating like a, a Jello pudding cup. Yeah. You know, so I, I have that
0: of just like in my notes, um, there's two things that really off put me about this scene. One, Terry Bauer only speaks in a whisper and only mm-hmm. a whisper. It was one of those wild things. And then also, um, when was the last time that you were like, "Ooh, I need a snack. Just get me a Jello, and I'm gonna just slam <laughs> that thing down in front of No someone one wants a, a, a damn Jell-O. Jello. Having a conversation. <laughs>
2: It was, like, the late 90s, early 2000s. We were trying to have, like, low-cal sugar-free desserts. That was yeah, what was trendy then. But this, this dude's is uh... supposed to be the world's greatest secret agent, and he's housing a snack pack in
0: his kitchen. He's also yeah, wearing dude. two T-shirts at the same time, and they're barely covering each other. It's one of those weird things of just, like, oh, God, this scene, it was a little bit off-putting to me because I'm just, like, this is supposed to be the world's greatest counter-terrorism agent and like, according to what happens later in the show but something happens right um there is basically terry what Be- beautiful
1: dissection of the scene something happens right something
0: happens based off of an agreement right we learn a little bit about jack in the idea that hey him and terry have not had the steadiest of marriages Uh, There was one point where he was not in the home. He left the house so that they could work on their marriage. Um, Yeah, he's
2: recently moved back in, it's
0: implied. And because of Kim sort of being a little bit, not like the greatest relationship with Terry, Jack and Terry decide, hey, let's go and have a conversation with Kim to establish like really the rules of how things are going to work in the house and make sure everything is just good. Kim is gone, even though she's playing the loudest music. I do want to give credit to whoever designed the set because the posters on Kim's wall were all fantastic. Just a couple that I'd like to uh, point out. There was Coldplay. We had Green Day. (laughs) We also had Tupac Shakur shirtless just over her bed. And I was really just a big fan of the decorations. Uh, But Kim is missing Uh, And right when Terry and Jack need to be focusing on that, Jack gets a call from work. Uh, We don't know what he does at this point, but it seems urgent enough that he needs to go into the office right away. Jack has to do
1: a 24-hour shift at IHOP.
0: (laughs) Jack
2: has to finish his snack pack.
1: (laughs) Um, Uh, I miss the Lorna Dune generation.
2: Yeah, as far as the... Laura Dern. (laughs)
1: Laura Dern Dern, uh, low sugar snacks.
0: So as it comes to this pilot and Max, as you discussed, there's a lot of different storylines that happen. Um, And today, let's just start following and thinking of rather than trying to follow everything in real time. Let's break it up and see a little bit of how each of our characters that we've started to meet, uh, as well as two that we have not met yet that we'll talk about on a plane um, are really interacting and what they're experiencing in real time. Where do you guys want to go first? I'm going to leave it <laughs> up to chance.
1: Uh, okay, so we're are we going are we going off of location? Or are we going off of time in the episode? Because oh. I definitely
0: let's go off of location.
2: Why not? Okay, that?
0: so are we uh, go. Are we going to work.
2: Let's break down the. Let's break down the. What are we doing? Let's do Kim and Janet.
0: All right, cool. So Kim and Janet are off to meet some hot college sophomores uh, who go to San Diego State, which is nowhere near Los Angeles. Uh, Yeah, that's your
2: first mistake.
1: It's a casual three-hour drive up to this furniture store.
0: Never trust someone whose mascot is an Aztec. Uh, And they go to this furniture store in the valley um, instantly... I had some questions about these two gentlemen. Yeah, me
1: too. What part of the valley? <laughs> you can't, it's big.
0: Yeah, which is like, where's this furniture store that yeah, I can party at?
1: It looks great. I'm not going to try out any of the beds. Oh, my God.
2: Um, yeah, things that are really concerning, though, in this, obviously, that uh, it's implied that Kim isn't is like waiting to get her driver's license and they're partying with college sophomores. This is just really disgusting. Uh, don't meet up with dudes outside of closed furniture stores in sketchy purple vans. Just stay away from those guys. Uh, Kim and Janet are also just, they're blasting bouncing off the walls by Sugar Cult when they're going to meet up with these guys. Just yeah, absolute dog. ass rock playing in their car. <laughs> uh, this is maybe one of the best shows with the worst music that we've covered. It's just these teens... Blasting sublime and sugar cult and just real shit music just real shit radio rock
1: yeah dude that's all they had back then hey, look you're you're growing up in 2001 and uh i don't know the valley uh quote unquote look you're growing up with an, a lot of yellow card a lot of sublime a lot of, I don't know, just a ton of, uh, just a ton of like really, uh, a lot of red hot chili peppers. It's very California music happening right there. It's Rich, very I chill.
0: Seen, I see nothing wrong with this. You're just describing my iPod yes. classic in 2004. No one's, <laughs>
1: look, it's it's no phones, just vibes, no practicing Santeria. <laughs>
0: um, but once we get to this furniture store uh, with Kim and Janet, um, we meet our two college suitors uh and they are in what can only be described as a gigantic red flag of a van uh because it has carpet shag carpet everywhere um and that they're definitely not cleaning it the two guys look like they've never taken a shower in their life
1: yeah this is pre-instagram van life uh so this is kind of like a little too low rent i would not trust the uh I would not trust the interior of this van. Yeah,
0: Rich, as you were saying, there's sort of been a period between, like, there was a period between 1980 and <laughs> 2010 where li- living in your van was not really a cool thing to be doing anymore.
1: No, in fact, it was sometimes related to a crime.
0: <laughs> I think these guys are even
2: sketchier because we don't know that much them. The only real backstory we get is when one of the guys is talking to Kim up on the roof. He says, I got into San Diego State and I figured what the hell, maybe I'll give college a try. Which is actually the motto of San Diego State. (laughs) 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 Oh my god.
0: Um, That was beautiful. This was just like, it was such a... At first, like, watching this show, not knowing anything about it, right? If you're watching this pilot for the first time, this seems like a very harmless scene other than hey you didn't tell your parents where you were going uh you're meeting up with these college guys two of them just decide to have sex in this uh very uh interestingly decorated furniture store on one of the beds uh so you know don't buy a mattress from a furniture store Uh, yeah this is
1: all like antique furnitures who's who's hiring like a 19 year old dude who lives I don't know, potentially four damn hours away. Like, what What are they doing here?
2: This is just the opposite end of the spectrum from, like, the really cute Ikea scene from 500 Days of Summer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but during this whole thing, um, Kim's friend Janet is just crushing beers, right? She is yeah, going dog. to town. Um, the it's guy ready that for she San Diego State with, yeah, does not seem to be... He does not seem to be fully um, aware of his surroundings as a whole. But when Kim wants to go home because she's missed all of these calls, Janet's a really shitty friend and is probably too drunk to give a coherent answer. And it's like, nah, we're going to go out a little bit more. Um, and that is when, at least for Kim, things seem to be getting a little bit scarier. Because mm-hmm. when she thinks they're going home... The guys drive away, tell her to shut <sighs> up, and they are going off into the mysterious night, unaware of where they're going.
2: I have to ask about another thing here, really quick. What did we think about Kim's lie to the guy saying that her dad died mm. six months ago?
0: I love that. That's such a good question. It was, I definitely think that it was either, you know, six months ago was when Kim's dad, when Jack moved out uh and kim potentially thinks and we're going to talk about this a little bit later that jack cheated on his wife with one of his coworkers. Mm-hmm. um but the other thing is there's a very distinct possibility that kim has been told by her father i am not you do not know who or you don't know what my job is you cannot yeah. tell people that i'm alive because of what i do and how important it is for the country as a whole
1: yeah, I, I think uh, he kind of has to live in the shadows a little bit. I mean, judging from the context of this episode, because there are, like, the the, the very first guy who starts, like, transmissioning signals and stuff like that, they're mentioning, like, the Serbians and stuff like that. It, it's, like, re- it's related to his involvement in, like, the Bosnian-Serbian conflict in, like, the, in the early 90s. So he has been on the national, the international, like... uh anti-terrorism scene for quite a while and i have to imagine this is just some form of witness protection strategy for her that uh, that they worked out especially if they have the like if they have like custom passwords on all of their electronics and it's like 2001 it's like flip phones that you type with t9 it's like it's not it's not <laughs> It's not a wildly, uh, like, connected and uh, and hackable uh, software like it is right now. And I have to imagine these are just, like... They they have definitely put in place some, like, safety procedures.
0: Yeah, and it's very much like... And, of course, I'm going to bring this to a nerdy space, right? It's like the superhero's dilemma of wanting to have a real life and having a family. But knowing that that puts your family up to all the harm that you face because they're easy targets... Right. This like, is why we
1: haven't become a nationally recognized podcast yet with with six million listeners. It's because uh, yeah, we uh, just we we don't want the fame. Yeah, we, we don't want it.
2: Yeah, uh, the listeners can't know who we are and what we do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> this is why we don't put out any of the videos of our faces. Those are all AI generated.
0: <laughs> um, but now that we've talked a little bit about Kim. I'd love to talk a little bit more about what's happening with David Palmer um, at his primary headquarters, we'll call them, in L.A. Um, As they're in these headquarters, we sort of get this understanding of, hey, he's really being seen as a top candidate uh, that could make some large change. We're seeing, like, CNN on the screen of them showing videos of president of Uh, Palmer, like, going to rallies and all these things. Um, But as soon as they're, like, starting to quiet down for the evening, everything's not all right, right? Like, Mm. they get this mysterious call um, saying, hey, we're going to run this story. And as Palmer starts to freak out a little bit, um, he calms down person definitely says they're gonna run it no matter what he threatens Mm -hmm. and we sort of don't know what else is what is happening what is the skeleton in the closet for david palmer
1: i think it was a great it was an interesting choice of them to not give much attention to the actual campaign headquarters for most of this episode like they cut back to it maybe like two or three times but overall i mean for the reason for all of them being there for them all like uh basically being the catalyst of this entire storyline that there's going to be an assassination attempt and obviously i guess when there's an assassination attempt you don't inform the person you think is in danger i don't know i don't know if that what that protocol is but they that I mean what Jeff just described is like the entirety of David Palmer's like plotline for this entire like hour-long episode yeah Yeah, I think the
2: first cut here is pretty strategic in that it's like after we get the intel of the soon-to-be assassination attempt and we get this sort of like contrast this calm before the storm and like Mm -hmm. they're working on the speech the the energy is good they're excited for tomorrow what it has in store and as we see the palmer campaign throughout this episode that sort of casual jovialness decreases each time uh, it goes from being like lighthearted speech edits and very jokey mm-hmm. to getting a uh, a very strange phone call of on one of the staffers and uh, from a character that we'll discuss a little bit later on. And then the third time is when they're getting a call from a major news network. Because mm-hmm. that that's something that we need to mention too. It's not just some random call of like drudge report I'm going to link you. This is like a, a major primetime news story that's going to come to light. That's going and to threaten
0: this campaign. Well, Max, to be not, fair... Not, to david palmer he is the senator from maryland he's not used to pacific standard time for him 1 a.m in the morning is 4 a.m he's been up forever
1: it's true you got to live on an international schedule man you got to learn how to sleep when you can sleep
0: on the plane <laughs> 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 but max as you were saying before i so rudely interrupted you
2: oh uh, and then i guess the the last thing here is that Palmer in the world of twenty four is described as being the first African American with a real shot at the White House, and absolutely
1: leveling a a crushing blow to Shirley Chisholm, which is not uh, super unfair.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I was gonna say, like, I I think, like Al Sharpton has ran at this point, Mm -hmm. like people have like uh, had campaigns, but yeah, David Palmer seen as this Jesse Jackson has is seen as like this real. Contender, And I do just like how we get a little bit of him, but like he's not a major part of this episode.
0: Yeah, it was definitely... I like the idea of putting a face to a name in this instance. Because it could have been very easy to just say, like, hey, we're just going to say, like, oh, there's this really important primary person who's going mm-hmm. to be uh, possibly the target of an assassination attempt and you have to save him. Instead, totally. It's Instead, it's like, here are the stakes, right? You're going to start to really embrace this guy who seems like super nice and super interesting and like just a good, like someone who you might vote for even though... Because we've
2: all seen the other version of this where this character is just a MacGuffin.
0: Yeah. Like we've all seen
2: the story where this person is just... Uh, a name that is used to drive a plot forward But now we actually get a face to it
0: Yeah, and we understand that they're not
1: For for the people at home And also for myself What is a MacGuffin?
2: <laughs> a, a MacGuffin is a person or object That its sole purpose is to Drive the action forward Although they're not necessarily like A major character themselves So like Everything in Lord of the Rings is centered around the ring. Mm-hmm. In the Avengers movies, they're looking for the Infinity Stones. Um, it's I'm saving Private Ryan. Private things. Ryan himself is a MacGuffin because the whole thing is you're trying to get to him. Mm-hmm. Is
1: it a reference to something? Is something named MacGuffin at some point?
2: Uh, if you want to look that up. All right, Mr. Joke, theater Man,
1: your time is done. <laughs>
2: yeah, I said theater. This is a film term, Richard. Uh, yeah, I'm so sorry. There
0: we go. <laughs> um, Waiting for MacGuffin. But I, I I like that this character has depth. I like that this character seemingly has flaws that we will find out if you watch more than just the first episode. And it adds to the stakes of the episode as a whole. But let's... Move forward a little bit with Jack Bauer, um, yes. and one of the ways that they start to try to establish that ooh Jack is a gritty guy and you don't want to fuck with him um, is as soon as he leaves <laughs> the house. Um, <laughs> that,
1: that was the original. That was the original description for the show. Ooh, Jack is a gritty
0: guy and you don't want to fuck with him. <laughs> Jack calls this guy named Vincent, who seemingly is Kim's ex, and like. This 30 second I love this interaction, interaction <laughs> gives us so much background on how shitty of a decision maker Kim is because not only is Vincent most likely drunk, he has like a loose lipped cigarette in his mouth and a gigantic tattoo on his back that just says Irish. Uh, happy St. Yeah. Patrick's day this, to everyone. This dude listening. followed
1: Sugar Ray around for a
0: while. And you can just tell that he's, This is Jack's first instinct. Somehow he has Vincent's cell phone number. Somehow he is able to call him and threaten him while also Vincent has nothing to do with Kim at this moment. And it's sort of the establishment of, like, hey, if you're fucking around with my daughter, you are going to get fucked up. Um... In a much more network <laughs> the uh, HBO version. Phrase.
2: <laughs> in, in honor of Vincent's really shitty Irish back tattoo, we are recording this episode on St. Patrick's. Yeah, head yeah, head yeah head. That, that's Watch why ya. we chose twenty-four. That but yeah, so far only. all we've seen from Jack Bauer is eating Jello and harassing teenagers. Uh, he's he's not <laughs> a great dad.
1: Yeah, he he has somehow developed like a very casual relationship with this dude, and it's just so it's so funny to me that he's like. That they can have this back and forth together because if anyone knew what Jack Bauer did for his real job, that man would be afraid for his damn life. But they
2: do this with Jack multiple times in this pilot too, where it's like in the midst of dealing with like the big story, Jack uses like his agency to do a little thing affecting the kim storyline too yeah uh we we see this where like the first call he makes after like being told you need to report to ctu is calling her ex-boyfriend there's a point uh, a little bit later on which doesn't deal with like the main storyline so i'll just say it now but it's like you think he's trying to get like hacking intel into He's like to, the main yeah. case but it's actually him needing to get his daughter's <laughs> email password
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> which also, our, our oh password her password life is sucks. life sucks
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's question so, for the two that's of you such a bummer <laughs> do we think that jack well first of all that's our super shitty password we need a few numbers in there a few random symbols as well um, no one's
1: gonna guess the most like boring emo girl <laughs> password somewhat like she listened to like an Avril Lavigne album like one too many times and came up and like made an email account that's that's basically what that was
0: so speaking of Jack as a family man because obviously Kim is on the back of his mind even though there is a national crisis that may or may not happen do we'll we think, get
2: to it <laughs> do we
0: think that Jack is uh, the type of dad who when a new boy shows up to the house just is polishing his rifle uh, on the couch or do we think he's more of a handgun guy that he just pulls it out while answering the door
1: yeah jack's more a covert than uh than uh brandishing a weapon at someone who's new into his house also they kind of don't want to draw suspicion i would imagine like You know how, like, if you're in the FBI, if you're in the CIA or whatever, uh, actually, FBI is a little different. If you're in the CIA or something like that, some sort of covert ops situation, you're not talking about it ever, because I think that's how you get killed (laughs) by by the U.S. government.
2: I could see Jack doing the thing where he shakes your head and just slowly he's squeezing it harder and harder yeah. and harder. <laughs> listening
1: to each uh, listening to each bit of cartilage tear inside your fingers.
0: Like
2: getting the, a feel for the pulse on your wrist.
0: The oh, handshake God. where he pulls you in and he's just like, I know what you were doing yesterday or something like that oh, to man. absolutely terrify you. You guys haven't watched this season, but there is, in a future
1: season, there is a handshake-based bioterrorist threat on David Palmer, which is so funny that you brought that up. So incredibly <laughs> funny. Oh man. Um,
0: right. But <laughs> back to CTU. We, we get do, to do, We get to CTU, right? Um, and we start to get introduced to some of these um, some of Jack's co-workers. Right, uh, that he is going to be working or, working with. We have Nina, um, who seems to be like Jack's second in command almost, mm-hmm. uh, and then we have the Tony, um, who has the greatest early 2000s soul patch I have ever seen in my <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, it's a,
2: it's its own character. Yeah, and
0: and like one of the things that is said. Uh, fairly early on is when Jack gets to CTU, he's informed, like, hey, I'm only informing you. There is a potential hit on this person. But also, you have a side mission, side quest. Uh, And that is, we think that there is someone involved at the CTU who is allowing this to happen. And I feel like they're using, now... I do not remember. i watched 24, I do not remember this first season, but I feel like they're using Tony almost as a red herring, right? Yeah. Of being able to be like, he has a soul patch, so you automatically can't trust him, and he seems like he hates Jack. Yeah, there's,
1: they do a lot of red herring stuff in this show. It's like, it seems like every single episode, there's at least three, like, are they the bad guy kind of things? And I think this use of Tony is kind of, it's a little bit going to come back and bite them in the ass uh, in the way that the kind of, like, just fear of brown people uh, thing just, like, becomes a recurring theme in this. I mean, they try to do a better job of making sure it's not, like, just the Middle East attacking the U.S. in this show. And I, I definitely... I don't know. Well, okay, let's preface by saying we have we have now discovered that there's a mole Mm -hmm. in ctu and i think that's a really important thing to establish on episode one because that really sets up an extremely long plot point of like who is it who is it even though there's only so many actual people in in ctu um but yeah they really give you the uh
0: it might it might be tony it might and be Tony. Just for those at home, when Rich speaks to the mole, we are not talking about the game show in which people <laughs> travel the world or Australia uh, and someone's trying to ruin the cash flow. Why do you think this is a game? They have Kim.
2: <laughs> we, we get a really important line from Walsher, though, in this closed door meeting with Jack where he says, don't trust anybody, not even your own people. And it basically sets up one of our rules of the show, which is that like everyone mm-hmm. minus Jack is a suspect Mm -hmm. but what's interesting in contrast to that is everyone suspects jack i think we get a little bit of background information here where jack was involved in a sting on a few crooked agents Mm -hmm. who were he says they were good people but they did a bad thing and it sounds like some money was embezzled from some previous cases and jack was the guy who cracked down on them so a lot of eyes are on Jack when suspicions arise because he has this Rep as like I, I guess For lack of a better word like being a rat Almost
1: yeah which is I think Is important in the Trustworthiness of Jack Bauer really because They do in uh, several times throughout The show they'll they'll like try to make Jack be The potential villain and stuff like that or like At least make it look like no one trusts Him and uh, I think establishing Him as the person who Would go and essentially not be on the side of their collective group is kind of nice because we have the current reality of police unions being wildly overprotective over terrible cops and terrible like FBI agents and things like that like just very very dangerous people and it's nice to know it's nice to see him as kind of like what America really wants which is someone who is going to hold his fellow you know, counter-terrorism unit people uh, accountable, which is nice.
2: Yeah. And this show was written pre 9-11, but Jack acts as sort of this like moral conscious Mm -hmm. Captain America type character. He's the guy who he, he's going to do the right thing. He sticks to his code. He sticks to his moral compass. Uh, he wildly oversteps and takes advantage of the Patriot Act and things like that. It does some very <laughs> sketchy uh, means to get to his end, but like sure. he does it with like good intention.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah Sorry, sure. go ahead, Jeff. Oh, no, no, no. Um, what I was going to say is, one of the things we have not mentioned about this show is we've talked about how it's in real time, but one of the things that I loved that they did, and even though I watched this on Hulu, When this show cuts to commercial break, time passes, uh, which is such a smart idea. And like probably um, the writers of the show were like, oh, we figured out how to pass even more time uh, as a whole. So let's use these commercials in the most smart way possible. Um, But let's talk about what continues to happen at the CTO. Intermittently, as Jack's trying to figure shit out... Um, He's calling his wife, Terry, who Mm -hmm. is trying to also find Kim. Um, With Jack's help getting the password, they're able to get into Kim's email. Um, And with the help of Janet's dad, they're off to go and find uh, Mm -hmm. Kim and Janet at the furniture store. But we do get a shot where they just miss each other. But during all this, we meet this agent we'll just call them or this bureaucrat named george mason uh and he is set to provide more detailed information and classified information to jack bauer um but there's something that seems a little bit off on this and this is where we start to get into that idea of like trust no one no matter what um I would like to give credit to the sixth character of the show. And that is New York City. Uh, (laughs) Cell phones are the sixth character of the show because without cell phones, this show would not be possible or without phones in general. Uh, Because as soon as we start to like Jack says, hey, you need to go and call the person who gave this, uh, who gave you the order to not tell me who this information came from and get approval because I need that information. And we sort of just get this idea that George calls just like this random, maybe 411, where you set your clock to the idea of like the time is uh, at, the, at this beep, the time is 12:31 p.m or something of that manner. Yeah. Um, and we get to see Jack go into action really for the first time. What were your thoughts when you saw like this entire deception sort of plot start to come together? So I got three quick points and I'm going to hammer them
2: fast. The first one is this is only possible in a world where you still use landlines because Jack just picks up the other phone at the same time (laughs) that George is calling. In a world of cell phones, this doesn't happen because Jack can't get on the line and hear what the other person's doing on the same connected phone. The fact that they don't have like separate closed networks in the counterterrorism unit is insane as well. You can have like a party line phone call in here is wild to me. The second thing is we kind of get a feel that George may have some interesting thoughts on uh, Senator, uh, Senator Palmer as well. He says that Palmer's not a friend of the FBI, and if he's elected, he's going to gut the office. And it seems like we start to get some of the, the politics into mm-hmm. here, um, whatever that shapes up to be. The third is we get the coolest Jack Bauer secret agent move here, which is gun in a binder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really he really did not uh, I, from just how many people have I've watched die in the run of this show, I can't believe that the very first shooting in this entire show, is a tranquilizer dart inside the ctu office that is like that that is an absolute bananas uh fact uh, factoid there
0: yeah and the way that he goes to nina and he's like give me that binder binder and then he's like give me that gun and then it's just this oh i'm coming in george is like oh well i tried and like here's the information and then he just shoots him right there was uh was you fantastic. know what i also wonder
1: is that uh okay so this uh, another major moment of this is uh this is where you kind of see the very first break of jack bauer in general of just being oh my god what's this guy capable of if yeah. he's gonna shoot someone in his own office like what what is he gonna do next yeah because, he goes
2: very quickly from like cool calm and collected to dart to the leg and sleeper hold on the couch yeah, yeah.
1: uh yeah it, it, I think this moment and I just I just realized this now that we're talking about it that this might have been the moment where the creators of the show are trying to test how much violence they can actually get away with. Everything else kind of happens off screen in this show. Um oh. it, like a lot of like the actual like danger happens off screen whereas it just very quickly doesn't in the in the remainder of this uh, the series. Um, But I think this is kind of like a dip in the toe in the water of uh, of Jack Bauer violence.
0: Well, you speak about there not being that much violence in our face yet, but I'm going to just like casually, for no reason whatsoever, bring us to an airplane uh, (laughs) that's flying over, uh, that's flying somewhere around the Mojave Desert. That's not important. Uh, With our biggest red herring yet. Yeah, and there is a man who seems a little bit a dark and mysterious man Mm -hmm. uh who has agreed to photograph david palmer uh for a magazine there's no
1: there's no photographers in los angeles famously so they gotta bring one in from germany
0: and we get so the reason my wife called it first but we meet this uh woman who seemingly is drunk or inhibited in some way Mm -hmm. and she's fawning over our photographer uh once she finds out that oh you're you know david palmer um we get our second sex scene of this show uh which is real fast uh we you know mile high club congratulations high fives all around in the biggest
1: Uh, (laughs) damn airplane bathroom you've ever seen
0: yeah did you guys notice that that airplane actually had a bar behind uh the two of them it was also designed as if it was the 70s i was gonna say it was like an everett's flight with like the giant bar and the bar stools. uh
2: this guy though he's He's such a red herring in everything we see him do. He's sitting there just looking sketchy. He's fiddling with his hands asking, how much longer till we land in Los Angeles? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's showing this woman just pictures from a magazine being like, yeah, I took that. No, you yeah, didn't. He Fuck just, you. <laughs> it literally,
0: literally took the magazine out from the back of the seat and was just like flipping around. And he was like, "That, that's what I took. But what I think is is cool here and
2: how, like, the misdirections work is we see him get on the phone from the plane and call someone who's, like, in Senator Palmer's circle at one point. And all I could think is, like, oh, like, the calls come from inside the house. This guy's obviously Mm -hmm. uh, a a terrorist of some kind. He's got a connection literally sitting right next to Senator Palmer. And – Things change. Things change over the course of this flight.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, I would sure say so. Yeah. So let's go back to the CTU really quickly. Um, During George's uh, little drug-induced nap that Jack (laughs) was responsible for, um, Tony did some um, research on George's finances because Jack thinks that George had something to do with a couple hundred thousand dollars going missing from a case that they worked earlier Uh, A a bank account in Aruba. Yeah, a bank account in Aruba. And he's using this as blackmail to better understand where this information is coming from. What are the sources? And we do have this like interesting, the many sides of Jack Bauer, right? Seeing how skilled of an interrogator he is. What is he willing to do to get the information and find the truth of the information as well?
2: Also, in his pursuit of information, we get the line that just best encompasses U.S. intelligence and politics in 2001, which is, do you have a warrant? Okay, if it's pretty important.
1: Yeah, truly, this is like I—I I, I don't know. You're this is an office of maybe like six people. Like I don't understand why you would go up to someone you know doesn't have a warrant. You just watched him all day. Like, you, you could see him from your desk. Also, very, very important that uh, Jamie has the ultimate like early 2000s hacker oh, look oh yeah the yeah fucking uh she's wearing a crop top shirt she's wearing a, a graphic tee to a counterterrorism unit office she's got pigtails she looks like she's listening to the pixies on her on her headphones like it is like she, major uh Major, uh, we're, uh, hack into the mainframe vibes.
2: I was gonna say it's that trope in these shows, like NCIS has it too, where it's like there's somebody who works for the government who got picked up because like they're they quirky. were just a really good hacker, yeah. but they're like alt and edgy. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're a
0: different taste of what we can, we do here at the CTU. We're not like Jamie's, all counterterrorism units. Where like, Jamie got one. so bored of making the best Zanga pages
1: on <laughs> on earth. <laughs> It's time uh, to put her skills where they really matter. Taking down Al-Qaeda. Oh, my
0: God. Max, go for it.
2: Well, there's there's an important thing, too. Like, obviously, we're focusing on the interrogation and Jack's methods and everything going on with George Mason. But there's a little bit of personal background we get in here, too, which is it sounds like Tony and Nina were slash are maybe a thing. And Tony reveals that Nina and Jack have a personal history together as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: we've touched on it earlier on. Yeah, we're not about, exactly sure. We're not sure, but there there's crumbs being laid out there. We know that Jack's had trouble at home. It seems like Tony has animosity towards Jack. There may have been a Jack and Nina fling at some point. So we are, we're just dropping more crumbs. Like this entire show is just like dangling threads that were going to go down at some point yeah. so
1: for this office being wildly small there's a lot of inter-office drama for people you can visibly see and have within earshot from you all, i would hate to day. be
2: in this hr they, yeah. they are just up to their ears <laughs> what
0: hr they just use dart guns when they disagree with people <laughs> yeah, true. um yeah, that's a, gonna be a hell of a meeting before the interrogation though with george there is this really interesting scene between nina and jack where they discuss the idea of what makes a bad person, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of the uh the morals that are associated with it. And Jack very simply says they were good people, but they did one bad thing, and that was mm-hmm. one thing too much. Um we see Jack get into action, right? He's able to basically just show George, "Hey, this is um we found the bank slip that you took all of this money. Um, and I'm going to press this button in five seconds. Uh, initially George gets up. I thought he pressed the button and I was like, badass as hell. Like way to just like frame yourself. But we don't know who the source is. George gives it and then gives Jack a very stern warning of you have no idea what you just got yourself into. Uh, this will not be the last you hear of me. Um, before yeah, I the assume he just, me, I just assume he just blows up into smithereens <laughs> at some point in the rest of the season. Uh, oh, Rich, I wish you didn't use that term because we're going back to the airport. Oh no, um, and this is when I think this show was able to establish the grandeur, the stakes of the show. Um, after it's also where three
2: point nine of the four million dollars was spent. A hundred
0: percent. Because this mysterious woman who was flirting with our photographer and um, had sexual relations with our photographer walks to the back of the plane and we see our photographer starting to look for his wallet um, or what we assume is his wallet. And as this woman is in the back of the plane pretending that she's drunk... Um, We see that she has his wallet and she pulls out a world press pass um, and then seemingly knocks out a flight attendant, Mm -hmm. goes to, um, pretends to be drunk again, goes and grabs a suitcase, then proceeds to, and I'm going to try to not be too in-depth, she blows up the plane, right, and gets out. And this yeah, she was sucks when... herself out the door of the plane. Well you yeah. you, you could say it. She she changes it into like a halo. This is jumpsuit. a Mission Impossible esque like scene. And yeah, yeah, the thing she... that's yeah, the thing that's terrifying is I was so genuinely surprised because in the back of my mind this entire time I was like, 9-11 had happened like three months ago, nine eleven or two months ago, nine eleven had happened two months ago. There's no way they're gonna show the plane explode, right? You, right? And I, then, I thought this was insane and then they show the plane explode and i just was sitting there and like we were all old enough to remember 9-11 pretty you know vividly and remember the idea of what happened that day those videos and except I was for me i'm 18 years old yeah i instantly was taken back god damn it rich <laughs> to um when to 9-11 and i just thought like If I was watching this show and someone who had just gone through that, would I be able to continue watching? So you you see the explosion from inside
2: the plane's cabin. One of the edits that was made to this pilot is not seeing the explosion from the outside of the plane. That was cut for TV. But you still are, in the wake of this national tragedy, seeing... Someone take a bomb out from a fire extinguisher at a time where we're thinking that anything could be a bomb, anthrax packets were showing up, mm-hmm. things of that sort. Um, you know, we're seeing a, a household object revealed to be a bomb. We're seeing someone incapacitating a flight attendant. We're seeing them change in. And then we see them halo jumping while mm-hmm. plane wreckage yeah. falls alongside them. All of that said, this was also the moment in this pilot where I was like holy shit I'm in. Yeah. Like this this was the moment for me where all of the slow burning, all of the red herrings, all of these suspicions of characters everywhere you looked like came right into focus for me and I was like oh like oh fuck. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, stakes are insanely high for as for as bit of as much as like a uh, kind of down on his luck, Dad, trying to make things right at the beginning of this episode. All of a sudden, you know, he's just going to like absolutely snap into action. He's going to f- go full like John McClane on everything, and and like, I, yeah, I, it, the stakes are just insanely high uh, almost immediately, and it is not a cat and mouse game. It is we need to
0: we need to like prevent massive disasters. Yeah, and so the actress that um portrays this role of this woman whose name we have not found out yet um mm-hmm. is Mia Kirchner um who I think just does a really great job of switching tone right being two-faced mm-hmm. um, to lighten the mood a little bit if you're not familiar with Mia Kirchner she is in not another teen movie as the stepsister uh, to Chris Evans' character and absolutely kills that role. um I highly I keep recom- forgetting that was Chris Evans. Yeah, what a uh, <laughs> what, what a the yeah. biggest damn
1: career change that you could possibly imagine.
0: But Congrats this was on the glow up, Max. I I absolutely agree. This was the moment where I was just like, oh, I should watch another episode, right? Because if this is the stakes of this show, if this is what oh. If a person is willing to kill everyone on an airplane to get a press pass, then what are we possible? What is the possibility?
2: And I'm I'm a dumb viewer. I felt like a dub-dub here because I'm like, oh, no, this guy's creepy. He's sleazy. (laughs) He's calling someone in Palmer's camp. There's no way he's really a photographer. Not the way that he said, I'm a photographer. Like, there's a gun in the camera. But then he's like swinging martinis he's letting his guard down and the twist i was like oh like i should have seen that coming
0: (laughs) but just to show this real-time experience right one of the last shots of the show is is we as jack has gotten this information from george mason um we find out hey there's been a plane exploded over the mojave desert um, and we see all of these establishing st- shots of our different storylines all come into frame. And the clock kick, uh, ticks up to 1 a.m. in the morning. It is... our And our episode is complete. Um, with that being said, let's talk about things that we maybe didn't talk about during our discussion of the pilot. But things that we loved about this pilot.
1: Oh, boy. So many. Go ahead, Max. This,
2: These are my favorite commercial breaks. Uh, <laughs> the, these are my favorite commercial breaks we've done. When, when I realized that like, they were doing the number of minutes the breaks took to get back into action, uh, that's that's so cool to me. It's such a great device for it. I'm imagining advertising agents just being so fucking mad at Fox. And it's like, no, we can only take a 30-second spot. We don't have room for your 60-second spot. It's it's um, so brilliant.
1: I, I love people that, thing, break, that build in... The point where the show makes money Into the script it's very very funny
2: Uh, Capitalism baby Um, The other thing is there's so many Other characters here that you have to Raise questions about the first Time that Terry gets that call from Alan York Mm -hmm. I didn't even know if I should believe That that guy was who he says he is And when they're like driving to the valley together I'm like is Terry in Safe hands is this guy really The friend's dad Or is this somebody like who knows who Jack is and he's trying to isolate Terry and so this show like it creates these moments of suspicion Mm -hmm. and paranoia where it's like you have to be paying attention at all times you have to be on guard you have to always be looking over your shoulder and I think that when even your smaller supporting characters have those elements in their like B and C storylines you're on to something good
1: yeah I, I wrote down because I know how like insane of an undertaking this is for the writing staff to just like make sure all these characters are are working logistically. Like I have to imagine they're storyboarding every single last detail because otherwise, how are you supposed to know where everyone is? How are you supposed to keep track of that when you're writing the next episode? And uh, no, I mean, you also probably have to write the entire season before you can even shoot one, which has to be another uh, logistical challenge. But I wrote down all of the... Questions that have been left unanswered or possible cliffhangers from this episode. There's the assassination attempt. There is uh, the Senator Palmer gossip and allegation. There's the relationship between Jack and his wife. The relationship between Jack and his daughter. The relationship between Jack and Nina. The relationship between Jack and Walsh. There's a mole in CTU. The fact that he tranquilized the district director. That's probably going to come back to him. Uh, Palmer's run for president. Who is Alan York? Uh where where Kim went off to. Who are the guys that Kim and Janet are with? The district director taking money? And what happened to the woman who blew up the plane? There's so many <laughs> that's so many things that you can just weave in through even like the next ten episodes. That's yeah. like enough. That's enough fodder for the next ten episodes. Mm-hmm. And then they keep adding it's kind of like a it's like a one in one out policy for cliffhangers on 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 twenty four. It's just like all right, one question's answered. Let's give them like three more to to try to figure it out, and then and then to have all of that come together as a culmination at the end of the season is
0: just bonkers. It's so it's so crazy. Yeah, um, I just I think the idea of doing a show in real time is such a interesting and like in two thousand one, this was such an innovative idea of. And it, you notice things that you don't normally notice when people do shows, right? Like when they said, hey, he's going to be out for about 30 minutes, right? 30 yeah. minutes or less. And then guess what? About 30 minutes later from when they said that in the pilot, George woke up, right? Mm-hmm. The, it's very clever, small but things that they're doing. I thought that, that kind of cheesy. <laughs>
1: i i I I want to see like when people talk in like exact minutes in a show that's in real time
2: it's so funny a c storyline where it's jack bauer orders a pizza and like 30 (laughs) minutes later the pizza shows up that's definitely
0: that is definitely on the cutting room floor of like snl (laughs) and like right after the show debuted (laughs) um well what were some things that were wait a minute moments for you about this show i think just that i think it's the
1: references to time i think it's because like yeah i get it it's it's all in real time like okay one of the one of the main reasons that they started doing the the oceans 11 like you know multi-cam thing is because this this whole show revolves around so many goddamn phone calls that it's almost impossible to track or count it is it's going to be so important to the show um but also like Phone calls are not wildly interesting uh, mechanisms for storytelling, so I think that's the only part about this that, like, and I I can't think of any other workaround for this of, like, relaying information to each other. Because you don't want text. No one likes it when a phone shows up on screen, and you have to, like, walk up to the TV and squint at it really hard and just to try to read what's on someone's phone. And you can't, like, fax everyone, so, like, I don't know, know. like, are people going to, like, Kinko's to relay information to stuff?
2: And this is 2001, so if you were texting, you had character limits per month, you could only send so many texts on
1: your plan. What happens when Jack Bauer runs out of minutes? Max, what's your
0: your wait-a-minute moment on this show?
2: I mean, for all of the actual terrorism in this show, uh, the worst people are the college kids who are hitting on these high school girls. Uh, <laughs> it's just really gross. I don't have anything more articulate. It just made me feel icky. All right, wow, um, you, you
0: just did a trolley problem inside your head. <laughs> <laughs> so two wait a minute moments for me one when people say that texting in front of someone is disrespectful the amount that people are on the phone while someone is trying to talk to them is so much worse <laughs> so i want zero complaints when i'm answering a text message while someone's talking to me uh because if i picked up the cell phone that is so much worse second ever watch the west Wing. if this is a show in real time The only time we saw someone go to the bathroom was to have sex in it. There's a lot more (laughs) times when people are going to the bathroom in an hour. I refuse to think. That's TV, baby. No, everyone's bladder and gut is so healthy that they don't need to go to the bathroom within that hour of time. And that was upsetting to me. All right. So I have another question for you. Our weekly question. Who was your daddy of the week in this week's episode? rich i'm gonna i'm gonna make you go first can it I, well, okay i don't want to take jack immediately
1: but how can it be anyone but jack like I, I think oh well actually hold on i shouldn't say that because senator palmer does his best cocaine bear impression and, <laughs> and that was my daddy of the week moment because that was hysterical number one to have just like a serious actor do that in general um but yeah major big daddy vibes from uh, from senator palmer Max, what about you?
2: I mean, I'm just gonna take Jack Bauer. Uh he he plays a mead game of chess. He loves a <laughs> jello pack. Uh you know, he keeps uh he keeps an eye on his family while also trying to save the world. He's willing to utilize the Patriot Act to uh, you know, protect his daughter.
1: <laughs> like
0: like any good daddy would.
2: <laughs> like any good daddy. <laughs> and
0: I'm gonna give a shout out to uh Richard Walsh, played by Michael O'Neill, because oh. you know what? Who doesn't love a good mustache and a man who is high up in the government? Um, I love that actor so much. Yeah, Michael O'Neill is in this pilot for maybe two minutes, but each of those minutes he commands your attention the entire time. There is
1: a moment in a white male actor's life where you can (laughs) say, I'm done acting, or You can grow a mustache and play
0: every (laughs) government employee that's ever existed. Yeah, no. And Michael O'Neill, we applaud you. Friend of the pod. Uh, (laughs) Friend of the pod, Michael O'Neill. You are definitely one of the daddies of the week. Well, (laughs) those are not the only questions we have. We have an in-flight question this week brought to you by our listener, Drew. And Drew asked, if not Kiefer Sutherland... Who do you think should have played Jack Bauer? Um, and I'm going to kick us off because I actually have a couple of answers. Um, I think if Michael Chiklis was not doing The Shield at this time, mm. he would have been a great pick for this role. because he, Oh, and
2: he's got history here. He, he did the commish for these yeah. writers back in the early 90s. That's and
0: the other one that sort of came to mind... Um, And this is my other serious one is uh, Shamar Moore, uh, whom a lot of people know from Criminal Minds, um, really talented actor. I thought he would have brought a little bit more charm to the role uh, while also being able to turn it on. I have one joke answer, um, and that is... Jack Kevin Black. James. I want Kevin <laughs> he James.
1: You want Paul Blart CTU? <laughs> I
0: want Kevin James in this role so fucking badly. I oh, was just man. thinking the entire time when I saw this question, I was just like, I could just see Kevin James, you know, know. eating a pack of jello, wearing two t shirts. One might be a little bit too small, uh calling his wife, trying to choke hold someone. And yep, it, it's not, I need it now. I need it I now. I don't think. I don't think what
1: America needed in 2001 it was born. <laughs> someone was a bumbling idiot accidentally destroying Boston. Was the King of Queens? like that
0: with, a, with like a mistake because he picked up like a chocolate eclair instead no, of his we, phone at the right America time. America needed the King of Queens at that time so oh, that's boy. why Kevin James couldn't do this show.
2: Kevin James accidentally shoots the dart gun into his own wagon <laughs> oh, no. in the interrogation scene. Oh
0: boy. <laughs> Alright, what about you two?
2: So for me, I have to give it to an actor who owes a lot of his career to the type of role that Jack Bauer set up. <clears throat> and that's going to be Bendies. Gerard Butler. Ah, oh, oh, great choice. <laughs> because there is no Olympus Has Fallen without Jack Bauer. There is no Plane without Jack Bauer. Oh. Uh, the new movie which Gerard Butler plays, uh, Chris Plane. Uh <laughs> But also, like, I I thought about, uh, he also, like, played, like, the sensitive dad part in the worst hour of funny people with Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler. (laughs) So, like, we've seen these two sides to him. Obviously, he's a movie star and he probably would have been... I don't know if he wants 2001, but yeah, I'm going to say Gerard Butler. Uh, joke answer, because I guess that's what we're all doing. Richard Kind, because he's on a cop show yeah, now. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's a great choice.
1: All right, Rich, what about you? <laughs> it's our weekly Richard Kind appreciation moment. <laughs> uh, okay, so I don't... I don't know how old either of these people are, but I know that they would do exceptionally well at this. My number one doesn't answer, matter. Say it anyway. My number one answer, since he refuses to be James Bond, is Idris Elba, and since Ooh, we know he can do, I was thinking do, about that. We know he can do an American accent extre- extremely well because no one knew that he was British when he did The Wire. No one.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, w- um, I was going to say he was doing The Wire at this point in time, so he like, would have been perfect. Yeah, he would have been great for this. Um, my other answer, and I
1: don't think he would have been old enough for this because I don't know how much older he is than Alicia Cuthbert, to be honest, uh, is, uh, Keanu. I think Keanu would have done an incredible job at this, uh, coming off hot from the matrix, which I think came out in 99.
2: Oh, Keanu would have been old enough for this role. He got his career started like in the eighties.
1: Yeah, but he, I mean, he, he looked really young in, in the matrix, which had just come out like a, a year or two prior He's just babyface, Jack. Uh,
2: Jack, <laughs> Keifer Sutherland just has been like chain smoking and hard drinking and playing for in band since he started "Stand by Me" in the mid '80s. Yeah, I
1: don't think he had to put on any makeup for Lost Boys. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, joke answers, carrot top, I guess. I don't know. I can't think of, I can't
0: think of a good one. <laughs> Guns are a proper. <laughs> well, Drew, thank you so much for that in-flight question. Yeah, we'll Drew. talk a little bit more about how to submit those, uh, at the end of the episode, but let's talk about the history of the show. So, technically, there were eight seasons of this show, uh, and 192 episodes of just 24. Uh, but we can't just talk about that because there was a lot more that happened. There was also 24 Redemption, which was a TV movie. Mm. Uh, there was also 24 Live Another Day, which was a 12-episode season in 2014.
1: Wait, so it's just 12?
0: Uh, there was also <laughs> there was also 24 Conspiracy, uh, which was a spinoff <laughs> that lasted 12 episodes. This um, time,
1: Jack Bauer's getting a full night's sleep.
0: So, this show, this series had really great ratings. Um, The first episode of season one had 11.64 million viewers. But season five had the series' strongest ratings overall, with a premiere of 17.01 million viewers and an average viewership of 13.78 million. Uh, And funny enough, it ranked number 24 in... In its fifth season, which was its That's highest so ranked season in 2006, that is uh, the season two that all
1: of the creators of the show, including Kiefer Sutherland, have said like this is when we hit our stride, which I yeah. think is pretty wild because that was, I mean, that had to have been 2006, 2007. It was or 2006 like that. when they. This is like uh, well into the Iraq, yeah. Iraq war and like Afghanistan
0: invasion and stuff like that. So I'm like, well, they had so much material to work. I with. guess,
1: yeah. Damn, it's like a revisionist
0: uh, history thing. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the awards for this show. So this show uh, was nominated for 134 different awards and won 36 of them, including the pilot-winning Emmy for Outstanding Writing for a Drama. And uh, it also—the pilot won single-camera picture editing for a series. Is Uh, this our first pilot that's won an Emmy? Actually, Desperate Housewives was. Um, The pilot won the Emmy? Yeah, the pilot won the Emmy. Uh, But— you know just in case you might be curious who they beat out uh for Mm -hmm. writing they just beat out a small show called the west wing uh (laughs) and for editing they beat west wing again but they also beat out this little known hbo hit called the sopranos Uh um don't know if you know them uh also shout out to
2: creative arts emmys wins creative
0: (laughs) arts matter (laughs) Yeah,
1: we support the SNL strike that's happening on April 1st.
0: These two Emmys only represented two of the 20 total Emmys that this show won between 2001 and 2010. It also won two Golden Globes. Uh, You can find all of the episodes, uh, TV movies, and additional seasons on DVD if you still like those things. Um, There were also actually... You can also find them on VHS
1: at my parents' house.
0: <laughs> there was, um, you can also find it on Hulu. That's where I watched it. Rich probably watched it on a Russian blacklist site. Uh, there were also. I am Hulu. <laughs> no, no, Hulu Rich goes out of his way. Uh, there were actually adaptions of this show in other countries, uh, mm-hmm. one was in Japan. Uh, and then there was one that was fairly successful in india that lasted for two different seasons uh the show there had been a lot of attempts by fox to bring this show back uh as recently as the spinoff of 24 conspiracy uh but really Kiefer sutherland's sort of been like eh i'm not sure about that and like we'll see the script um but who knows? Maybe this is the continuing history of Twenty Four. Talking about this
2: show's legacy like it's Emmy wins, I just all of the Emmy dramas now go to just like rich people who are mopey in designer suits. And like twenty years ago, you won for just like shooting people in the face, and now it's just like corporate takeovers and Doubt and Abby whatever the hell else. Like we need we need more shows like Twenty Four winning primetime Emmys. Well. That is the
0: current history of 24. but rich, let's end things right. What is your game of the week? I did
1: a lot of searching around to try to find a good game for this week. and there's you a lot of some
2: good intelligence. There's a lot of,
1: there's a lot of fun facts about this show um, in the sense that like, okay, uh, Palmer becomes president. Uh, at the end of season one, sorry for the spoilers (laughs) um he is uh, so the show takes place in universe across 18 years an 18 year span um palmer is the only president in that 18 year span to have served the entire term they run through 11 presidents in 18 years can you imagine the state of the united states (laughs) we ran through that many presidents in that short amount of time uh, there's also some weird fun facts, like uh, in season two, Alicia Cuthbert accidentally gets bit by a cougar uh, in filming one of the uh, filming one of the episodes in which there is a cougar. Um,
2: RIP to P-22. <laughs>
1: oh. Yes. Um, oh. But that is to say, this is all misdirection, because we've been playing Rich's Game of the Week this entire time.
2: <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> Done. What?
1: Done. <laughs> Done. What? The following takes place between the, the hours of one PM and two thirty PM on a on a Friday afternoon. Um For major fans of the show, um, you know, Jack Bauer's job is incredibly stressful. And being on a network TV show, you can't swear at all. So <laughs> They're developed, they're, by the second season, there was a pretty viral sensation of a 24 drinking game where every time Jack says the word damn, you take a drink. Now, I have said damn a certain number of times this entire episode, and I want you guys oh, to fuck. guess, was it six times, was it eight times, or was it 12 times?
0: Rich, before I... Six, that, is not count- that is not counting me explaining the game. All right, but Rich, I just have to ask for the audience. Have you just been marking down on a sheet of paper every time you say damn? Yes, indeed I have. <laughs> oh my God, this is <laughs> thrilling. Um, so I I am going to go six times. I think that you've only said it six times. What do you think, Max?
2: How do we know we can trust you?
0: Yeah. <laughs> How do we know this is accurate? He's, he
1: has a tranquilizer dart point, like pointed right at my head right now. 12 times max you were correct i have said it 12 times throughout this episode motherfucker (laughs) i trusted you Rich. hey whoa whoa whoa! network tv show network tv show
0: oh mother father (laughs) um well rich thank you so much for that Uh, for our weirdest game uh, the biggest one maybe one of my favorite games of the week that we've ever done before our plane comes to a land i have two questions for you gentlemen would you continue watching this show? And do you think this show could be made today? When I sat down to watch this, I thought
2: in my head this was going to be a hard no for could it be made today. I I just had this idea in my head of like post 9-11 TV, the lay of the land, where it was a country. And watching this, I, I'm an absolute yes, this could be made today. Mm-hmm. I, I think more than anything we've embraced the anti-hero on TV so much in this time. This is still like, I think season three of the Sopranos at this point when the show premieres, we're going to get characters like Walter White and uh, Saul Goodman and and, uh, Don Draper in the years to come, these dramatic anti-heroes, Kendall Roy. So yeah, I do think that a gripping espionage show following this, like by any means Anti-hero could still do well on TV today. Absolutely, um, and yeah, totally. I would absolutely keep watching this show. the The last chunk of this episode, those last ten minutes, with all of the lines coming together, the plane explosion. I I was in. I absolutely want to keep watching this.
1: Rich, what about you? <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. I, I think there. I mean, uh, I mean, a terrific point about kind of white knuckling it through the first like little bit of the show because you don't know where precisely jack bauer is going to like show like i don't know american ignorance or like where our um where our feelings were towards certain uh certain countries at the time or like our our blatant xenophobia that existed in the first like couple of years following uh following nine eleven, and i think w- one show that did an incredible job of not to get too far off the rails one show that did an incredible job of taking their very first episode after september 11th to the correct message is the west wing because they made their pilot all i made they made not the pilot they made their episode following 9-11 all about not profiling people, protecting the rights of, of Muslim Americans, protecting the rights of people who look like those that attacked us. And um, this show shows a lot of the details of torture and everything that we went through. I would love to see kind of like a reckoning for that in a show that it would be made today. There's also going to, I mean, the massive difference in how intelligence is gathered right now compared to 2001, I mean, it just like leaps and bounds ahead, and it'd be interesting to see how they navigate things like drone warfare, bioterrorism, mm-hmm. um things like that, because you know legitimate threats, and we do have people in those exact jobs right now. um It would be very hard to make this not giant among the QAnon contingency and mm-hmm. like like gun nuts in this country. um I'm hoping that that wouldn't be the case, but that is very much like. I don't know the kind of blatant xenophobia the kind of like pro-torture by any means necessary to protect the country kind of feeling that we had back in 2003 etc. is something that I hope would kind of be taken out of time but I think it would be it would just be for the wrong audience right now but I still think it would be I, I made I mean
2: that's, that's every single made for Amazon Prime movie starring mm-hmm. Chris Pratt that's coming out <laughs> oh though That's God. that's every single reboot of jack reacher and uh mm-hmm. you know
0: yeah uh, it's hard not to politicize anything like there,
2: there are there are these shows and movies still getting made and they don't turn us all into q on.
0: yeah and what i'll say as far as my answer is i think the version of the show could definitely be made today um i think we would have to not focus so much on the counterterrorism unit As far as maybe expand this to the idea of how the government deals with a crisis and having a little bit more of the idea of – and I know 24 does a really good job of seeing it from the president's perspective and all that. But I think that that sort of larger scope Mm -hmm. would allow for more people to get into it, more issues to come up, and for more – a variety in what the seasons is. It's not just, oh, it's another terrorism attack uh, or it could be, oh, this major tragedy happened Mm. and this is everything that's Mm. happening around that as a whole. Like, right, if there was a 24 where there was a successful terrorist attack on the US and it's the 24 hours that surround that, that'd be really compelling television to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know whether you're on the right on the left in the middle in space you would sign you would watch that because it is good good drama is addicting um as far as me watching this if you were to ask me at the 40 minute mark of this show if i was mm-hmm. going to watch another episode i would have told you absolutely not <laughs> but as soon as we had jack sort of go into action we saw kim Um, we saw Kim get kidnapped. We saw the plane incident happen. My wife and I were just like, do we want to watch another episode right now? Right. (laughs) Um, and I think that just speaks to what happened with a lot of these shows. Um, and I would really love to watch this. And I think we're seeing the popularity increase of this, of the dying of binging and the increase of the weekly show. And I would love to watch the show almost at the, Hey, at 9 o'clock every Tuesday, we watch an yes, episode of 24. This is
2: water. this is Water Cooler TV 101. Yeah, this man. is the type of shit that is made and written and produced so that you talk about it the next day and then you all look forward to it for a week. Bring that back. It's why HBO is crushing the prestige drama right now. Yeah, and now. it's yep. why...
0: Things like The Mandalorian are absolutely murdering because it's once a week, you watch that episode, and then you get The Mandalorian murders? Oh, 100%. Oh, he he does a lot of murdering. Oh. Uh, Oh, oh no. Max. Um, Well, our plane is coming to a land. I would love to hear where we can find you two gentlemen.
2: I'm getting one of those big old airplane martinis that our dude drank. And uh, you can find me on all things social media at Maxwell Singh. You can find original sketch comedy from myself and Rich over on TikTok uh, at Comedy.
1: You can find me hunting down the cougar that bit Alicia Cuthbert and successfully, <laughs> and successfully bringing him back to the tribe. <laughs> Biting it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you can find me
0: on Instagram at uh damn that's rich and you can find me smoking cigs with my boy vincent uh, discussing his <laughs> Irish back tattoo. Uh, but you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Run, Jeff Run. You can find the TV Pilots License on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at TV Pilots License. If you have a question for the show, maybe an in-flight question or for our next episode, you can email us at tvpilotslicense@gmail.com at gmail.com or give us a call at 213-290-1713. Make sure to watch our Instagram. We like to give previews of things that are are coming up and we always take questions if you shoot us a DM uh, with the plane landed and the seatbelt sign off we look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again soon and until then stay great
2: dad, 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 dad.
0: <laughs> oh boy